This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Grand Final Friday. That's right. 23rd of October. Pardon the pardon, Norman, but really pushing towards the grand finale in Victoria in terms of stamping out the last stubborn parts of coronavirus that are still spreading down there. Yes, and there's clearly still virus around in the Northwest Corridor. You wouldn't necessarily expect it to have totally disappeared from there. And they've got pop-up clinics going up. And that's, that's the way it's going to go forward. It's the way it's going in New South Wales. And it's the way it's going to go forward in Victoria. And it's a good thing that they're onto it and jumping onto things quickly. So what we're looking forward to on Sunday from Dan Andrews, hopefully, is certainly moving forward the uh, restriction relaxations he talked about for November 1st this weekend. But I suspect you might see a bit more than that in terms of hospitality, restaurants, bars, that sort of thing, where you just might see a, um, a speeding up or much more much better defined pathway to those opening up in the near future because Victoria is in pretty good shape. We did hear yesterday about a little outbreak in a housing block area in Melbourne. Is this just like we don't need a lockdown to get on top of those, right, if the public health uh, machine is working better now than it was before? That's right. And also if you've got the community on site and they're willing to cooperate because they realise the implications of very much larger lockdown. So it's, it, the fuel for the fire is huge when people are living in densely populated circumstances. So it could spread incredibly quickly. So they've got to get on top of it, they've got to get on top of it quickly. But the capacity to do so is much better. And there's less distraction around in Victoria. There was a lot of distraction around when you got those tower block outbreaks in addition to the other outbreaks in abattoirs and elsewhere in Victoria. There was a lot going on in Victoria the last time there were outbreaks in those densely populated tower blocks. These days, the capacity is there to focus more and have fewer distractions around because there's so much less virus circulating. The virus that is circulating, you know where it's come from. Right, and so we're sort of moving towards a kind of steady state of figuring out our relationship with this virus here within Australia and hopefully looking at opening up our internal borders at some stage in the near future. What about our international borders? There's still lots of Australians overseas. There's international students who want to come here. Tourism operators here are really struggling. And I'm sure there's some Australians who really want to go overseas as well. What should a reopening pattern look like for Australia more broadly? Well, it's a very complicated landscape. You've got to feel for these 30-odd thousand Australians who want back Many of them are quite unwell. They don't want to be exposed to COVID-19 in the places where they're at. And they desperately want to get home to their families and they feel cut off. The problem is that we tend to have a one-size-fits-all to our overseas entries. And it should be possible to open up in a more strategic way if the politics would allow it. And I'm not blaming the politicians here. It is a difficult situation. And you've got to do something about stranded Australians overseas. But a lot of them are in countries which have a high prevalence of SARS-CoV-2. Like the UK, Europe and the US and places like that. Yeah, that's right. It tends to be where Australians go. Some of them are in Asia in lower prevalence countries. So when you're sending a Qantas plane over to London to pick up people, you're bringing back in a plane presumably that could take three or 400 people, you're bringing back 175 because the crew's got to be protected and the people on board have got to be protected. Bear in mind that of the tens of thousands of Australians who've already returned, there have only been three or 400 infections in Australia. Yes, we hear about them every day, it's true, but it's low numbers. Trouble with that is, as we've seen in Victoria, you only need one 
episode of escape from hotel quarantine. It's not that the family escaped, but the virus did through circumstances, and you've got a real problem on your hands. So the risk is high, but the risk is particularly high when you're bringing back people from high prevalence countries. You've got a lot of international students in China. Uh, You'd have to exclude those in India because that's a high prevalence country. But China's a low prevalence country. There should be a way of bringing back international students quite soon from China with judicious testing, intensive testing, maybe limited quarantine with intensive testing. And there are ways of doing that, perhaps turning over halls of residence, colleges to the limited quarantine that you might introduce. Singapore, certainly New Zealand, Pacific Islands, that you could open up these places quite quickly. And of course, if Australians are stranded there, those would be your first priority. You could probably send a Qantas plane over and fill it up, particularly if they wear masks, and bring it back uh, with far more than 175 on board and almost a full complement of passengers because the risk is so low. So it should be possible to have a risk-adjusted system where for safe areas, you have one way of managing it, and from high-risk areas, another. And there's probably no alternative if you're living in the UK or Europe and want to get back to coming back on a, on a very low-load plane. So this is different to a travel bubble, is it? It's a bit more, like you still have to quarantine, but it's just not, it doesn't, we don't have to have as high stringency because the risk is lower. It, it needs a lot of thought. It's not straightforward. And the highest priority has to be stranded Australians overseas. It's just intolerable that we don't solve that problem. And, you know, it's a bipartisan issue. It's not party political. But equally, there should be a way of doing this which minimises the risk from already low-risk countries. There should be a way to manage risk more carefully and in a nuanced way, depending on where people are coming from, so that it's not an open bubble, but it is a lower intensity of quarantine. So Norman, let's take some questions from our audience and what better way to rip through a few than to do them as a quickfire Friday round. Are you ready? Ready to go now. Jeffrey's asking, you mentioned the other day that masks need to be washed at 60 degrees Celsius to make sure they're virus free, but domestic hot water services are limited to 50 degrees. So does he need to be hand washing his cloth masks in water heated in the kettle or what? I think that uh, Ryan McIntyre, who did the work, found that 60 degrees was what did the work, but you'll find that detergent in warm water should do it the same way. It's just that extended washing cycle, I think. So 50 degrees, 60 degrees, who knows whether it makes any difference. The point that Ryan McIntyre was making here is that a quick rinse in the hand basin is not enough. This person's a farmer and wants to know why, if humans contracted COVID from animals, why other mammals supposedly don't get the virus? And has anyone bothered to test sheep, cattle, pigs and so on? Yeah, there's been quite a lot of testing of animals. Corona, there's a lot of coronavirus infection in animals. Pigs get a similar disease to COVID-19. And in fact, there is a pig vaccine, as far as I'm aware, to a respiratory syndrome similar to COVID-19, but it's not SARS-CoV-2. Quite a lot of animal species have been tested and not found to carry this. Dogs can be infected, but don't seem to retain the virus very well, whereas cats do. And agricultural animals don't seem to be a, a, a big problem. But coronavirus is prevalent in lots of different species. This person's flying to Darwin from Sydney next week to visit family. Very excited about it. What precautions should they take for the flight? Well, I think for any flight, my view is that you should wear a mask throughout the flight and just be careful about hygiene. 
And as Ryan McIntyre said on Chronocast a few days ago, when you flush the toilet, make sure the lid is down so you don't have an aerosolising event. And I think this question is asking about sewage testing. How can they test for the virus with all those millions of litres of water and other chemicals and just take a small test tube and still be able to identify the virus? Yep, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? But they're able genetically to actually look for the fragments of the virus. And I think that this is done with antibodies that pick up the virus and then light up when they've picked up the virus. Jo's a big fan of Coronacast and her son is a paramedic in London and has had a very mild case of COVID-19. But she's heard recently that everyone who gets COVID-19 has long-lasting effects in the front of their brain. Is this true? Please clear it up for her because she's really worried. You can stop worrying, Jo. It's far from true. But a percentage of people do get long-term effects and it's really not known yet what that percentage is. But it's not the majority of people. And one more question, Norman. What, imagine one infectious person walks into a room with 10 others, spends a considerable amount of time, seven get the virus and three don't. Why don't those three become infected? Is it because they've got better immune systems? It's probably just the play of chance, but it could be that you've got some genetic resistance to the virus. There's always somebody in society, even with a new virus, who's got genetic resistance to that virus by the play of chance. These are mysteries to which we don't know. It could be that they just didn't inhale quite as many viral particles as others. Who knows? It is a difficult question, as indeed you just said. It's just another one of the many mysteries that still surround COVID-19. It is, and that's what keeps Coronacast going, and we love your questions. So if you want to send one in, go to our website, abc.net.au slash coronacast, click Ask a Question, and mention Coronacast so we can find it. And you can also leave a comment if you've got something you'd like to say to us. We welcome both nice and less nice comments, but please make them nice if you can. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well, because we love reading them. And we'll see you on Monday, where we'll pick over the bones of the announcements by Diane Andrews on Sunday. That's right. See you then.